One of the reasons why Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, includes sermons like this in his uh, account is so that future generations like ours would know what the authentic Christian message is. That is wonderful for any of us here who have come, perhaps when you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I'm hoping by the time that you leave here this morning, you will know what the Christian message is all about. And I hope also for thus, uh, those of us who have been Christians for a while, actually what we're looking at will help us to think, I know the gospel better, this will help me in explaining it to others. Shortly after I was ordained as a Church of England uh, clergyman, I had to attend some post-ordination training, which we used to nickname potty training. And this particular potty training was led by a Jewish rabbi who was part of the Council of Christians and Jews. And it was a fascinating and an eye-opening conference for me. I knew, of course, of the horror of anti-Semitism and the appalling uh, genocide of the Nazi Holocaust. But I think it was at this conference that I was properly confronted with the prejudice and anti-Semitism that has existed in the Christian church down the centuries. For instance, during the Crusades, Jews were forced to convert to Christianity or face execution. Jews have been falsely accused of sacrificing Christian children and drinking their blood in their Passover celebrations. And within the church, negative stereotypes of Jewish people have been fostered and in some cases actively promoted. And tragically, there are places where that still goes on. It was a very humbling and an illuminating conference. And one of the things that was suggested to us uh, during it was that because of this history, and because God had entered into a covenant with the Jewish people, we Christian ministers shouldn't seek to preach the Christian gospel to Jewish communities. Instead, it was our responsibility to protect them and their identity. And the impression was to give them was that to do otherwise, to seek to uh, preach uh, the gospel to Jewish people was anti-Semitic. But one Jewish person has put it like this. You are doing to our heart and soul what Hitler did to our bodies. Now, is that right? Do uh, Jewish people have their own agreement with God that is independent of Jesus? Well, let's turn to Paul's preaching of the gospel to find out. You see, in the uh, book of Acts, we see Paul preaching in many different contexts. But actually here is the only example we have of Paul preaching to what is almost uh, totally a Jewish audience. And I want us to notice three things. And the first is this, how the background of the Christian message is the story of the Jews. So Paul and Barnabas have been invited to speak to those assembled in the synagogue. And having greeted them and got their attention in verse 16, uh, Paul begins his message. And notice that Paul doesn't begin with Jesus. Instead, he begins with the history of God's people in the Old Testament. Verse 17. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. 
With mighty power, he led them out of that country. And so he goes on. So Paul begins with a, a history that is in the, actually the bloodstream of his hearers. Uh, there is the Exodus in verse 17, where God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Then after 40 years in the wilderness, verse 19, we get the next stage, which is when under Joshua, God led his people into the promised land of Canaan. Then there is the record of the rulers God gave his people, the judges in verse 20 and the kings in verse 21. It began with Saul, and then in verse 22, Paul mentions the great King David. Now, all this would have been very familiar. And Paul is reminding them of these facts, not in case they've forgotten them. No, he's making a point about Jesus. And the big shot comes in there in verse 23. From this man's descendants, that is David, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now I wonder, uh, as Jeremy read uh, verses 17 to 23, whether you, you noticed how God is the subject of pretty much every verb. Uh, he chose, he made, he led, he endured, he gave, he removed and then he brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. See, this act is the climax of all that's gone before. And it's a reminder that the coming of Jesus is not just the next part of the story. It is the fulfillment. It's the content of that story. It has all been pointing to him. And we see this also in the ministry of John the Baptist. So verse uh, 24, John the Baptist, well... He was actually the last in our great line of Old Testament prophets. Although we read about him, you know, in, in the Gospels of the New Testament, he's in fact an Old Covenant, an Old Testament prophet, calling God's people to repentance. But that's not all he did. He also pointed most explicitly to Jesus. You see that verse 25? As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. But not only do these kind of staging points in Israel's history point to and lead to Jesus, so do the problems that they faced along the way. And that's another feature of this kind of potted history that Paul mentions in verses 17 to 23. So uh, look back in verse 18. Paul alludes to how God had to endure the constant grumbling and faithlessness of his people during their 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And then in verse 19, he mentions the enemies, the seven enemies, seven nations in Canaan that needed to be overcome. And all this took time. It didn't happen overnight. It took centuries. It took 450 years. And then there was the false start with King Saul. And what Paul is doing here is showing how patient and faithful God is and how he repeatedly works through the failings of his people. And of course, that's what happened when Jesus came. He was rejected and killed. Look at verse 27. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfill the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. 
See, this is what we've been seeing God doing throughout Israel's history. God working not only through the faith of his people, but also through their failings and wickedness to fulfill his good and perfect purposes. So the Old Testament had had looked and hoped to the one who would bear the sins of God's people. And in rejecting Jesus and asking Pilate to have Jesus crucified, that is, hung on a tree, they were fulfilling what was written about Jesus in the Old Testament. Because it said, curse is everyone hung on the tree. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was bearing the curse, the punishment for our sins, so that we can know God's forgiveness. Friends, this is a reminder, if ever we needed it, that the Christian scriptures start in Genesis, not Matthew. The Old Testament is not simply Jewish history. It is Christian history. It's our history. As Paul comments in one of his letters, these things, in other words, the Old Testament scriptures, were written for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You see, you need the Old Testament to understand Jesus, and you need Jesus to understand the Old Testament. And that is what Paul is doing in the sermon. He's demonstrating to his hearers that the whole of the Old Testament is all heading to Jesus, that it's all about Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament is, is incomplete without Jesus. Verse 32, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. No one can know God unless they know Jesus as the center and fulfillment of all of God's purposes. That's what the Apostle Paul himself was confronted with when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. He thought, didn't he, that he knew God. He thought as he was going around putting Christians in prison that he was serving God and pleasing God. But he wasn't. Friends, it's not enough to be a theist, that is to have a a belief in God or some higher power. Paul was a theist before he was a Christian. Now, it is Jesus who is the Savior. It is Jesus who is the center and fulfillment of all of God's purposes for humanity. And so, friends, if anyone is going to come to know God, they have got to do business with Jesus. And so in our proclamation as a church, and as well as our individual conversations that we have about faith matters, We've got to be constantly focusing on him, on Jesus. Not talking vaguely about God or church, but Jesus. And one of the skills that we all need to be learning is how respectfully, uh, without overriding people, how can we help people and, and get conversation around to Jesus. That's why it'd be very good to, to go to these, these Lewis uh, conference and events 
Actually, because he in his days, one of the things that he was master at, are pointing people to Christ. Likewise, if Jesus is the center and focus of all of God's purposes throughout history, if we're, actually, if we're going to grow in our knowledge of God and our, our, our confidence as Christians, actually we need to know Jesus better. And one of the key ways we will get to know Jesus better is by growing in our understanding of how Jesus does fulfill all that the Old Testament pointed to. So the background of the Christian message is the story of the Jews. And then second, the heart of the Christian message is the vindicated king of the Jews. Now, one of the striking features of, this, of the sermons and kind of gospel preaching that we get recorded in the book of Acts is how, in all of them, there's a, there's a real focus on Jesus' resurrection. It doesn't matter whether it was to a Jewish audience or a non-Jewish one, whatever the circumstance, the resurrection of Jesus f- figures prominently in Paul's and Peter's preaching. And, and we see that here. So having introduced Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, Paul jumps straight into talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. Notice there's no mention of his miracles, no mentions of his teaching. Now, what we have here in Acts 13 is only a summary of what Paul taught. So he, he might well have then, in that case, spoken about Jesus' life on earth and some of the things that he did. But clearly, if this is a reporting, then the focus of Paul's message was on Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, the Jews thought that the crucifixion of Jesus disproved his claim to be the Messiah because of that Old Testament scripture, cursed be anyone hung on a tree. How could the Messiah be cursed? But, says Paul, it was all part of God's plan foretold in the Old Testament. And three days later, God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. And Paul wants his hearers to be sure that it really happened. So look at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. In other words... Those who proclaim the resurrection are the ones who actually saw him. They're the ones who had been with Jesus all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem. They knew him well. They hadn't been duped into thinking that some fraud was the risen Jesus. But this is quite striking. To really drive his point home, Paul goes back again to the Old Testament scriptures. And just as the cross was predicted in the Old Testament, so was the resurrection. And Paul quotes three Old Testament passages. So the first in verse 33 is a quotation from Psalm 2. You are my son, today I have become your father. It's a psalm that speaks of the nations gathering together to oppose God and God's king. And actually how about God legitimizes his king by proclaiming to the world that he is his son. And says Paul, that (laughs) legitimization of Jesus was fulfilled at Christ's resurrection. 
So in raising Jesus from the dead, God declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. The next two quotes, one from Isaiah 55 and the other from Psalm 16, focus on the fact that Jesus' body would never be subject to decay. So Psalm 16, Psalm of David, the, 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 great, uh, the great king. And in this psalm, in which David addresses God, he says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Well, says uh, Paul, you know, go to Jerusalem, go to the uh, tourist information board, find out where David's tomb, and there you'll find his decayed body. His bones are there. Yeah, his, his body rotted, it decayed. But Jesus, great David's greatest son, now his body did not see decay. He died, yes, he was buried, yes, but God raised him from the dead on the third day. God vindicated Jesus and declared him to be the Messiah, the true king of the Jews. And so Paul comes to his climax, to his punchline in verses 38 and 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. It is through Jesus, and it is only through Jesus that you can experience forgiveness from God to be declared innocent, righteous in God's sight. There is no other way. Uh, The law of Moses revealed sin. It showed that the way that God's people to live, but it could never deal with sin. It couldn't make anybody right with God. Only Jesus can do that. And so, friends, this is why Jesus is for everyone, whatever the race, religion, or, or background. doesn't matter what your cultural heritage is or what your politics are. doesn't matter whether you're filthy rich or dirt poor or somewhere in between. doesn't matter whether your taste in music is grand opera or heavy metal. Everyone needs Jesus. Because we're all sinners before a holy God. And it is through Jesus, the vindicated Jewish Messiah, that God proclaims and offers his forgiveness and friendship to a lost and needy world. And friends, this is the good news. That we gather together every Sunday to proclaim and to rejoice and to celebrate. But of course it demands a personal response. And that is why Paul finishes his sermon with verse 40. And yet another quote from the Old Testament uh, scriptures. This time this is from the prophet Habakkuk. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. You see, the people in Habakkuk's day failed to recognize when God was at work. And Paul is in effect saying, look, I'm fearful that the same thing might happen to you. That you might hear about God at work in Jesus Christ, 
and yet scoff and take no interest in it, pay no attention. And so I hope all of us here this morning are not doing that. But instead, we have personally responded to Jesus and are actively trusting in him. Because it's never enough just to hear about Jesus or to believe that he existed. Jesus can never just be part of the, you know, the background mood music of our lives. Now, if we want to know God's forgiveness and friendship, Jesus must become king over us. We must love him, trust him, and yield to his good and perfect rule. So the background of the Christian message is the story of the Jews. The heart of the Christian message is the vindicated king of the Jews. And so the preaching of the Christian message is first for the Jews. So Paul and Barnabas leave the synagogue, and in verse 42 and the following, we hear the response. Some are very positive. Paul and Barnabas get invited to preach the following week. Uh, it's always a great encouragement for the tolerant preachers, like you know, you know, Rico, to go somewhere to preach, and then get invited back. That, that's an encouragement. And uh, then we read in verse 44 that when they arrived the next week, words got round, and almost the whole city has gathered to hear them. Fantastic response, isn't it? But tragically, that isn't the only response. Verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and and heaped abuse on him. And Paul's response to the rejection of his message about Jesus takes us actually to the heart of our whole passage. Look at verse 46. See, although Paul was specifically, he was, think of it, Paul was specifically commissioned by the Lord Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentile world. That was his job, from the Lord himself. But wherever he went, he first tried to preach to his fellow countrymen, the Jews. Why? Well, he tells us. Notice how he puts it. We had to speak the word of God to you first. See, Paul had to speak to the Jews first because the promises were originally made to them. And the king who has come to them is their king. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And only secondly, actually by extension, does Jesus become the king of those who are non-Jews, Gentiles. And this is picked up in the, in the final Old Testament quote. And this time, I want us to see the wider context. So coming up on the screen now is uh, this passage from Isaiah 49, from which Paul quotes. And now the Lord uh, says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Can you on the screen go back to verse um, verse 5? 
See, God through Isaiah speaks to his servant. And uh, we know that that servant is Jesus. And in verse 5, he says that Jesus' ministry is to bring Jacob, that's Israel, back to him, to himself. In other words, to call Jews back to God, but that's not all. Next slide, verse 6. Actually, he'd extend that salvation to the Gentiles. Why? To give greater honor and praise to Jesus. And so the Christian message has always been first for the Jews, and then by extension it is offered to the rest of the world, (laughs) to us. Anti-Semitism is a great evil. It is a particularly heinous form of racism. Jewish people throughout their long history have experienced the most appalling abuse and discrimination. But it is not anti-Semitic to lovingly and humbly and graciously and gently and carefully to seek to preach the gospel to them, precisely because it's their message. (laughs) See, in seeking to preach Christ, we're not fostering something un-Jewish on them. The Christian gospel is Jewish. We Christians believe and trust in the Jewish Messiah. Most of us are Gentiles. Very few of us will be aware of any Jewish heritage in our ancestry. But actually through the preaching about Jesus, God has grafted us in so that we might become the people of God. So we might not have Jewish blood, in our veins. But we have the sort of the spirit <laughs> that is spirit coursing through our lives. Whatever our politics, whatever our, our thoughts about the current nation of Israel, those of us who are Christian believers need to constantly remember that whatever our bloodline actually we have a Jewish heritage. And that is a wonderful kindness of God. We don't deserve it. We have no right to it. But instead, through the mercy of God, he has included us in his purposes for his people Israel. For the honor and glory of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Let's just have a moment of quiet, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Ah, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness in sending Jesus to be not only the Savior of your people Israel, but to be the Savior of the world. Thank you that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay the debt of all the wickedness and evil of men and women. Thank you for vindicating Jesus and proving to the world that he's indeed the Messiah, the Christ. Please give us a true humility and love for all people, and especially for those with a Jewish heritage. 
May we be faithful in prayer for your ancient people. Please, in your mercy, put Jewish people across our path and give us a great love for them. Please give us both the the opportunity and the courage to speak to people about Christ, whether they be Jewish or not. And Father, we humbly ask all this for the honor and glory of Jesus and in his precious name. Amen.